Well, good morning for those who are here. Thank you so much for being here for part two of our series, Winning with Emotions. For those watching and listening online, we want to say thank you for taking the time to do that. Well, emotions, we all have them. We've all been on the receiving end of them, right? We all know them. We all know emotions. And our emotions come from God. You and I have been created in God's image, His likeness, and part of that means we've been created with emotions, and He's designed our emotions to work a certain way. But sin has corrupted each and one of us. We all have this sin nature. We are prone to do things our way instead of God's way. You and I are responsible when they are out of rhythm with God. When our emotions are out of rhythm with his design, the way that he designed emotions, you and I are on the hook. I know that's something we don't want to talk about, but the truth is you and I are responsible because emotions provide a way for us to worship God and they provide us a way to win with people. So as God became flesh, Jesus became God in a bod, emotions were at play. And those who lived and interacted with him saw how God in a human body handle emotions and our friends at soul shepherding mentioned that jesus had 11 core emotions from what they can see in the new testament he experienced anxiety anger shame sadness pain surprise hope faith love happiness and peace and whoever wrote the letter of hebrews it was a new testament letter written to a group of Jews who became Christians and it points out that Jesus is our high priest who empathizes with us because he was tempted in every way we are yet without sin. He handled emotions perfectly and therefore they write since we have a great high priest who's this great high priest who ascended into heaven is Jesus the son of God let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So great high priest is another title for Jesus. And for the Jew, this made a lot of sense because the, the high priest was the one who went into the, the most center, the most, the, the most inner part of the temple or the tabernacle where God's glory dwelt. And he went in there one time of year on behalf of the, the people, sacrificed an animal so they could get a covering for their sins for a year. They could be forgiven for a year for their sins. So the high priest was different. He was set apart from the other priest. He was set apart from the people in the community. He was different. But when Jesus came and at his death, he was the last and through his resurrection was the great high priest because Jesus was willing to do and able to do something that no one else was able to do. He was able to be the perfect sinless sacrifice. For you and I, so that we could have a relationship with God restored once and for all. And in fact, Jesus continues to intercede on our behalf. So the writer continues, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Every way means every way, including our emotions. And Jesus is able to relate to you and I because he's been there. Death of a relative, death of a friend. He has been there. He's disappointed people. He's been betrayed by people. He celebrated at weddings and at parties. He ate great food with friends and family. He's paid taxes and he's been in large crowds. And then the writer continues, let us then. He's going to give us a next step. 
And the reason why we have this next step is because of Jesus being our great high priest, perfectly handling emotions regardless of the situation he was in. He empathizes with us. He understands what you and I are facing. And so the next step is to approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy, kindness, or compassion and find grace, unmerited, undeserved favor and help us in our time of need. Our confidence is in what Jesus did on our behalf. The reason why I can go to God is because of what Jesus has done for us. And you and I have different needs. Maybe for, your, for you it's, it's a financial need. Or maybe for you, you're starting a new job or a new career. Or maybe you're getting married. Or maybe you're welcoming your first child. Or maybe for you, you're becoming a parent of a teenager. And all of those things, right? All of those things come with emotions. And in that moment, all right, God, I need you because I don't want my emotions to control me. I want to make sure that I handle them responsibly. So this week, we're going to look how Jesus handled a mother's grief, how he handled her sadness. And and a question I want to ask is, can sadness help you and I during times of loss, hurt, and pain? Well, next month, uh, I'll, I'll be celebrating 20 years of full-time ministry. Yeah, 20 years. And for a long time, I, avoid, I avoided funerals as much as I could. I would get very nervous during hospital visits and viewings. Like, I was really nervous that I was going to say the wrong thing, or I was going to say a dumb thing, or I was going to be that weird guy in the corner, like, hey, what's he there for? I was afraid of that. And as the years have gone on, I've become more comfortable, but yet there are some things that I was still, I was still nervous, I was still anxious going into that hospital room, going into the, the funeral home. I was nervous, right? I was anxious. But something happened a few years ago when we lost Jenny's parents unexpectedly. I was like on the other side of it, and I knew what was helpful When people would say different things, I could categorize them as helpful or not so helpful. Like one of the things we're often asked is, well, how are you doing? Like I know that meant well. Like I knew that came from a really well-intended place. But in the same breath, I thought like, what do you think? How do you think we're doing? If I asked you to describe in one word your emotional state when you found out that you lost someone close to you, your child says they hate you, or you learn about a diagnosis, what would it be? What would be that one word? And it can't be a bad word. What would that word be? And I'm sure it'd be in the sadness category. So, so why is sadness something we, we, we attempt to hide? Like, why is this something we don't want to talk about? Did you know that even Jesus was affected by bad news? He wept when he learned that his friend Lazarus died. Jesus experienced grief. He experienced sadness. Before this moment, he's actually preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount. And teaching and speaking like that can actually drain someone physically and mentally. And pretty much every time afterwards, you're looking at getting some rest, right? Where you don't have to think. And the last thing that you need is drama or a dramatic situation that's going to further drain you. So Jesus is preaching this big sermon, Sermon on the Mount. 
He wraps it up. And then notice what happens next. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So this is a tragic scene. We'd all agree this is a tragic scene. Now, regardless of how the son died, it was extremely tragic because the woman not only lost her husband, now she's lost her one and only son, the one that takes care of her. Perhaps she found a rhythm after her husband's death, and now she's like starting all over again, going through the grief and the sadness. Imagine the pain and grief that this mom is experiencing. I mean, this would have left her depending on public charity for support, unless she had other relatives, which doesn't appear to be the case. Now, the Jewish community was really good at caring for widows and orphans, much better than the Greeks and the Romans. But being a widow was a hard life. And then being a widow without any family was even a harder life. And in this culture, it was normal for people to drop whatever they were doing and join the funeral procession. If you were fixing a wheel in a wagon, you just stop and you join the processional. This is sort of like what we do in our culture. We stop, we pull over when we see a processional transport, right? We do this out of respect. When the Lord saw her, Luke continues, his heart went out to her. Now those six words are actually one word in the Greek, which we're going to talk about in a second. And he said, don't cry. Don't cry. Now the crowd is seeing this grieving mother. They walk with her. They're mourning with her. They're helping her bury her son. That's a lot. And that all matters. In that culture, you would have philosophers they would be standing around trying to console the bereaved. And they would say things like this. Don't grieve for it's not going to do you any good. And that, that's like, I'll be honest, that's like a dumb thing to say. I think we'd all agree that's, kind of, that's really not helpful. No matter who saw her, no matter how many saw her, they could not heal her soul. Most likely there would have been those who could pay the funeral costs, those who might provide her some meals, those who may take her in, or those who would help her around the house. And those are all very important and very helpful. For someone who has lost in-laws, I can say those actions are extremely helpful. And it's true. It's true for us that we needed connection to navigate our grieving. And it's, I like this quote from Brene Brown. She says, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. What makes something better is connection. And most people, I mean, we're not looking for a magic response to fix everything. We're not looking for the magic word that everything gets fixed. We're not looking for that. I know that people are looking for someone who can connect with them. Remember Jesus He's coming off that lengthy sermon. He's tired. Jesus saw her. And he could do something that no one else was able to do. He was able to heal her soul. He was able to connect with her like no one else was able to connect with her. And Jesus can heal where others cannot. And from experience, there's this peace that overshadows the pain from loss. There's this peace to smile, to laugh, to tell stories even with tears with other people. 
It's the peace to get up in the morning. It's the peace to pray with those who are hurting. There's something that Jesus does when you go through a tragic time, when you're going through a difficult time, that you're able to experience a side of him that you usually don't experience when everything is cruising. Everything is going well. And the word, that, that remember, the, the, remember the, the six words, the phrase, his heart went out to her? It's one word in the Greek called splachnitzma. Splachnitzma. Let, let's say that together. Splachnitzma. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's pretty good. All right. It means stomach-turning, gut-wrenching care for someone. That, that's what that means. It's the feeling you get when you get that, get that call. Right? You get that un, unforeseen call. You hear that news about someone. You're like, ah, oh, and your stomach just goes up in your mouth. Right? You're uncomfortable. Maybe you lose sleep. I think of the scene in We Were Soldiers where the wife sees the car pull up and then the doorbell ring. Now let's look at that together. Moore? Colonel Moore's wife? Yes. I need help finding an address. I'm looking for you. Do you know what this is? Do you know what you just did to me? I don't like this job, ma'am. I'm just trying to do it. Wait. Wait. I'll take it to her. And tell the cab company if there are any others, just bring them to me. Yeah, that, 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 um, that, that feeling that she was going through is, is black nitzma. Now, here's the, here's the truth. Jesus experienced that for this mom. Jesus was hurting with this mom. And that feeling, this black nitzma, it leads to action. It, it leads us to do something. Have you ever been in a situation where you're moved to act, like something happened? Maybe there's an accident in front of you and you get out to check on that person or maybe for you, your child is doing something that is going to hurt them and so you go out and you stop them from hurting themselves. Or maybe it's that moment where you see someone following, following, sorry, following in the story and you go and help them. Right? That feeling leads to action. And just as Jesus was moved to act on the widow's behalf, did you know that his spirit, the Holy Spirit, sees you, 
prays for you when you cannot get the words out. The situations, the moments, maybe you get the diagnosis, maybe you're dealing with some, some kid stuff and you're like, oh my goodness, you don't know what to pray. You're frustrated, you're overwhelmed. Notice, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what to pray for. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He sees you. He intercedes on your behalf. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Luke continues, And then he went up, speaking of Jesus, touched the buyer. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Look, the resurrection from the dead was a rare miracle. It happened a couple times in the Old Testament. It happened a couple times in the New Testament. This was an unexpected special moment for this grieving mom. She had no idea that was going to happen. And I don't want you to miss this. It's impossible to understand the impact of the miracle without understanding the impact of the suffering. It's impossible to understand the impact of the miracle without understanding the impact of the suffering. This was like an impossible miracle because the situation felt impossible. And Jesus was able to do something that no one else was able to do, give life to her dead son. And this brings context to why Jesus told the widow not to cry. Luke continues, they were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help with his people. Jesus healing her son was unexpected to her and the crowd. They couldn't keep it hush-hush. They couldn't keep it quiet. It had to be shared because they saw something they couldn't keep a secret. And listen, Jesus brings dead things to life because he is God. He brings dead things to life because he is God. Remember that Jesus has splachnitzma for you. Splachnitzma. And in the story, the widow isn't kept from suffering. And it's true that Jesus will allow you and I to go through suffering because it's part of this world which is out of rhythm with our Creator. Paul David Tripp writes this, Your suffering is not a sign that you've been forsaken. Rather, it's a sign that you live in a world that doesn't function the way God intended and is in need of complete renewal. Although, he may not keep you from tragedy. He may not keep you from that diagnosis. He may not keep you from infertility. He will be there to help you in unexpected ways because he cares deeply for you. And so, a special word to the moms in the room, those watching online. Whether you're exhausted from pregnancy, maybe you're uncertain about your marriage, stubborn kids are resisting you, or you're trying to be present with a friend who is going through treatment. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to weep. Because Jesus is with you 
through his spirit, he is with you. He sees you. And he cares deeply for you. And whatever you're feeling, he is taking that to the Father. Jesus is worth following. He's worth trusting in difficult times. Because he brings dead things to life. He provides peace when there doesn't, it seems impossible to have peace. So, two questions to ask. Number one, in what area of your life are you longing for connection rather than a response? Number two, how does the words, like Nitzma, change your view of Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story that we have. It shows that Jesus cares so deeply for us. I ask that you allow us to just think about that that he not only intercedes on our behalf, not only can he empathize because he's been there, and he had his emotions in check. So Father, I'm asking that we won't allow the drama to overfill our lives, but we will surrender it to Jesus. Father, I ask for some of us in the room that we've been kind of resistant to go to God when we're going through something very difficult. I ask that we would change our mind about that. That we would go to you because we have access to you because of what Jesus has done. That we would go to you and we would tell you how we feel. We would just confess. For those of us in the room who have yet to be a follower of Jesus, I ask that they would stop resisting. They would just surrender and recognize that Jesus brings dead things to life and we are spiritually dead and we are made alive when we believe that Jesus died in our place and he came back from the dead to show that he is God. So Father, help us to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. Lord, we are so incredible, <laughs> incredibly thankful that your word is, is alive and active and a story that happened 2,000 years ago can, can change our lives today. So we're so thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.